Welcome to the Three Lines of Defence podcast, the show that provides in-depth discussion into the world of audit, compliance and risk. We bring valuable insights, market information and career advice from industry leaders. Here's your host, Mark Enticott. On today's show, we have Harry Bader, who is the Global Head of Sales Desk Risk Management for the Global Markets Division at ANZ. Harry's worked at a range of different companies and roles throughout his career. He's worked as a trader for many years before joining Credit Suisse as a senior internal auditor in 2005 when he worked in both Zurich and Singapore. In 2008, Harry moved to Standard Chartered Bank and worked in various audit roles both in Singapore and Jakarta. In 2018, Harry joined ANZ. Harry, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mark. Um, Thanks for having me. No problems. I'd like to start off with your early life. Can you give me a little bit more details about where you grew up? Yeah, no, absolutely, Mark. Um, I, I was born in Basel, Switzerland, which is uh, in the north, uh, the northwest corner of uh, of Switzerland, bordering Germany and France, which is actually an interesting uh, an interesting uh, spot in Switzerland because it gives you the opportunity to uh, to be able to speak, um, uh, you know, French as well uh, as well as high German. And um, you know, I grew up about 30, 25, 30 minutes from Basel in a small village. Um, and uh, you know, I started in uh, in banking uh, in 1990 uh, with, a, with a banking apprenticeship uh, at the time with Swiss Forks Bank, which uh, you know a couple of years later was bought over by like, Credit Suisse. Um, I don't know whether you know, Mark, but in Switzerland, uh, it's typical. I think it's even nowadays uh, still typical that you need to go to university, uh, you know, to study something uh, more in depth, or or you do an apprenticeship, and an apprenticeship could be you need a profession. It could be, uh, you know, uh, uh, insurance, banking. It could be, uh, you know, just business in general, or it could be in any other field like, uh, like nursery or, or whatever, whatever else you can imagine of. Uh, and I did a banking apprenticeship, uh, which which lasts uh, three years. So it was from uh, 1990 to 1993. And what made you choose an apprenticeship in in banking? Well, that's a that's an interesting question. I mean, I, I um, I've got an older brother. Um, he's two years older, and uh, um, he was um, in that in that decision uh, situation uh, a couple of years earlier than me. And uh, I still remember my my dad. He, he used to work for a big pharmaceutical company in, in Switzerland uh, in the marketing department, and he always said that banking is very solid. Banking is something which is going to be there forever. We all need money. We all need to, you know, invest and and, and borrow money. And uh, you, my son, you're going to go and do my uh, banking career. So that's how I, uh, how I met. my daughter ended up in, in, in banking. And uh, you know, two years later, for me, it was obviously uh, um, it was a relatively easy decision to follow uh, at that as well. And uh, you know, looking back, uh, uh, you know, almost almost thirty years. Um, I do not regret that decision at the time at all. Uh, not to say that we have been uh, pressured uh, by our day to go into banking, but uh, you know, it was a gentle push in the right direction, I would say. And so you div- you started your career off as a trader and then you subsequently moved into internal audit. What, what was the driver behind leaving a career as a trader and, 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 and going mm. to internal audit? Yeah. Uh, look, I think it was during... Uh, it was during the apprenticeship in Switzerland, and, and the way it works, uh, 
um, and I think it still does nowadays. It's very traditional in Switzerland. You, you have uh, different departments, different jobs you're actually doing throughout that, uh, that, that apprenticeship, those three years. Um, so, you, you know, you, you are somewhere in a payment department in operations, you know, doing some middle office. I, I worked as a teller. Um, and then obviously, at the time, we still had, uh, you know, the floor stock market trading in, in, in Switzerland and Basel. And I spent a, a you know a number of months um, as a as an assistant to one of the stock brokers or the stock traders at the time, and uh, you know I really really enjoyed that at the time. And I, I think you know just the uh, you know being on the pulse of you know feeling that pressure, feeling what's going on in the market, and you know all the numbers going up and down, people make money, people lose money. I think it was really really uh, interesting to see, and. Uh, you know, when the point came, uh, you know, you know, towards the end of the apprenticeship, we, you know, obviously we had to make a decision where do you want to work, uh, or where you want to, you know, get into into real life working after the apprenticeship. And uh, you know, I put up my hand at the time and said, "Look, guys, uh, I would be interested to become a stock trader." Um, uh, they all agreed. Unfortunately, <laughs> at the same time, the, the floor trading, the traditional. Uh, a la career system um, um, uh, died and the, you know the stock market was closed in Basel everything moved to Zurich um, and uh, at the time I, I felt like I didn't I didn't want to move city uh, because obviously I was uh, still very, very young not not even 20 um, so they offered me uh, you know a position in, uh, in, in, in the foreign exchange um, you know banknotes precious metals uh, trading as an assistant and, and I felt like well you know Trading stocks, trading currencies, precious metals. Yeah, so it's all about the same. So that's that's how I got into it. And, and I started off with commodities trading, you know, precious metals and stuff like that. Then moved on to foreign exchange, uh, traded foreign exchange for a number of years. And I think the point in time, you know, changing and, and moving away from trading, uh, it, it was quite a long process, actually, to be honest with you. It, it was during 97 onwards, and I'm sure you remember that the, the financial crisis in Asia. Um, I was trading at the time uh, Asian currencies, uh, and it was a, it was a really it was a really intensive you know time with you can imagine swings on the PL side of things, which 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 at the time was enormous. And uh, not only the hours of work we had to put in, and, and, and all the sort of stuff was 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 taking quite a bit of a, a toll. Uh, you know, to everybody, uh, including myself, and and at the time I felt like, all right, do I, if I see myself ten years from now, do I still want to do the same stuff? Right? Is 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 there not something else out there which is, um, you know, which is interesting where I can learn more? I've been doing this for a number of years now, and you know, I I, I just can't see myself doing this for another ten or twenty years. I mean, obviously, you have people sitting next to you that are ten or twenty years older, right? And so you could see how how, how that that how you would potentially end up, right, in ten or twenty years. And and I felt like that. Nah, I don't want to be. I don't want to be in a position like that. So what I was doing at the time, I changed uh, I changed job uh, from from Credit Suisse to um, Arab Bank in Zurich, and uh, and I had a boss there, uh, Peter Seaman. Um, he was he was uh, he was engaged in in in, in, uh, in education you know outside of work so he went to uh, you know a school in, in Zurich which is about financial 
um, analysis. It's a bit similar to um, uh, the CFA. It's just a Swiss version of it. And he always told me about it and said, hey, look, you know, you should do something outside. You know, you should, you should go and, and learn other stuff, right, so that you are prepared for the changing environment. And I felt like that that is a really great idea. And, uh, you know, at the same time, Aerobank uh, at the time, they were really, really, um, you know, good in, in providing assistance in terms of funding for uh, if you want to go back to school and do something, uh, you know, besides your job. So they actually funded me uh, for some of my, um, my diplomas, almost 80%. And, and I was able to work uh, daytime and, uh, you know, evening time you did your, your homework, you studied on the weekends and every now and then you had to go to school. And um, so that was a period from, if I remember correctly, from 99 to about 2003, where I actually worked as a trader and at the same time went back to school. And that, that, that phase in there, these three, four years, which, which kind of came out from the Asian financial crisis going into the, the dot-com bubble burst, Enron in the US and all those sorts of stuff, made me, made me sit down in, in the early 2000s and say like, I think I have to do something else. And the big question then was, what, what, what do you want to do? Uh, I think banking is definitely the area I want to stay in. I don't want to go outside of banking. Um, but, but what within banking you can do? And that's how I came across, uh, you know, some of my colleagues, uh, they worked in, in audit. And, and uh, well, I started to ask questions, you know, what, what are you guys, you know, is there, is, there, is there something you can learn? Is there something you can do? You know, is this, is this interesting and all this sort of stuff. That's how it started. And, and over a short period of time, I then got into, into touch again with, with my old employer, Credit Suisse. And, uh, of course, I still knew some people there and, you know, engaged with them and said, oh, you guys, are, you're looking for someone on the investment banking side, uh, you know, someone with front office experience, someone who knows, uh, you know, how everything works from a front office perspective. So here I am, I'm your guy. So that's how I ended up in, in Credit Suisse in uh, 2005 uh, and took on the role as an internal auditor for for, uh, for the investment bank at the time. It was still Credit Suisse First Boston. And, uh, you know, it was, it was amazing that the change, the change from front office to audit, it wasn't easy. I had a lot of difficulty, but it was a change which, which then actually took place. And what, what made you move from Zurich to Singapore? Was that an internal move with Credit Suisse? Um, yeah, so Credit Suisse, <clears throat> I don't know whether they still do that nowadays. Uh, Anyway, we can't get on a flight, on a flight at the moment uh, because of COVID nineteen. But at the time, um, Credit Suisse was really good in uh, uh, providing what we call a stage uh, or uh, you know a six month assignment, always overseas assignment. And and at the time, you could you could uh, you could, you could choose where you want to go. So Credit Suisse had you know the big centers, of course, Singapore, Hong Kong, London, and, and New York. And I remember for me, they. At the time, my boss said that, yeah, you, uh, it's obvious you have to go to London or New York because investment banking, this is where you need to be. Um, and that was, uh, that was scheduled. Uh, it was supposed to happen um, uh, early 2007. So usually they said that, yeah, you started in 05, so you need, to, you need to do a bit of work about 20 years before you actually can travel uh, and, and, and do a six-month assignment. So I was scheduled to go either New York or London. And I still remember it's just before Christmas, um, on uh, 06 um, 
my boss called me in and said, hey, we, uh, we've got a problem. I said, okay, where is the problem? Uh, yeah, we need someone in, in, in Singapore. Uh, you know, they don't have enough people. They don't have, they don't have the skill set. We need, we need someone there who can, you can, can help them to, you know, to do what they're supposed to do. And I, Singapore, okay, where is Singapore? <laughs> so I checked the map and, oh yeah, okay, that's Northern Ireland here, you know, uh, Southeast Asia. And, uh, and, and I said, oh, you know, why not? I, I've, I've never been to Singapore and, you know, you guys need someone to help. Uh, I'm more than happy, six months, no problem at all. Let's do it. So that's how I ended up in Singapore in, in, uh, in early, early 07. I came down here and I still remember Singapore. The first, the first thing that, that rem- reminded me of, you know, getting out of it is how hot and humid it is. I thought you were going to say that, that Yeah. <laughs> I, I won't forget that day when I arrived and I didn't have any money in my pocket. Um, I forgot to, to take some Singapore dollars back in Switzerland, so I had to get off the car into the uh, far east, uh, far east, um, um, you know, next to the higher there, the, the shopping mall to get some money. And I got out of the, out of the car and my, and my specs, I couldn't see anything anymore because it was completely foggy. Right? But but anyway, so I, I, I you know, here I was in Singapore and, and, and started to work, you know, we had a few colleagues from Switzerland as well. You know, very good mix of people, um, you know, from across the region, you know. It was really interesting. And it was the first time for me to kind of, you know, work outside of Switzerland and, and work in an extremely diverse uh, environment. Uh, and, and, of course, everything English, you know, and, and far away from the head office. So that was very interesting. And, uh, you know, um, two months, I think two months in the assignment uh, out of the six, uh, at the time, uh, the, the, my boss came and said, "Hey, uh, you know, do you want to do you want to stay forever?" I'm like, uh, "Well, we have a six month assignment, so I mean, staying forever is probably not an option, and uh, I don't think that the people in headquarters <laughs> would would like it, right?" So I said, "Okay, hey, I, mean, I, I can think about it, but you need to make a call to the headquarters and uh, you know, and provide them with your with your grand idea of, of uh, you know potentially asking me to stay here for forever, right? And uh, you know, long story short, uh, you know, I, um, I I ended up in Singapore. I went back to Switzerland for two three months or two months or something to you know to clear out my uh, my apartment at the time, sell sell most of my stuff I had at home, and uh, move back to Singapore for good. Has there been a particular person that's been a key mentor for you, and, and what? And if so, what what do you feel that that person's done from a both career and leadership point of view? Mm. Yeah, no, I, 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 I mean, along the way, you can imagine, right? I mean, I, uh, 2020, 1990, that's 30 years. Oh my God, I can't believe I'm so old. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, in 30 years, we obviously come across a lot of people uh, in, in, in various different settings. And uh, I, I think I had a you know, maybe mentor, maybe mentor is the wrong word in my case, but it was more like, uh, you know, you know, maybe at the time when, when you start, it was your line manager, it was your boss, but actually, uh, you know, became, became over time your, your friend. And it's not, it's not that kind of, you know, uh, you know, boss relationship anymore. Mm. Right. And, and I think that's when in particular on the front office side of things, um, you know, I think hierarchy is, is 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 less important, right? Because obviously, um, you know, your trade or your sales is supposed to make money, you know, and uh, and you know everything is a bit more is a bit more relaxed. I think 
let's say, in different in different areas of the bank where it's maybe a little bit more hierarchical, right? Which is fine, right? So, I mean, it depends on the situation. But I would say definitely my 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 boss or my line manager at the time and my very, very good friend, uh, Peter Seaman in Arab Bank, he was, he was key, uh, in my opinion, to where I am today. Because if he wouldn't have told me at the time about, you know, going back to school, use your brain, don't just do FX trading, don't just be a trader, you know, be more than that. And 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 of course Arab Bank at the time supporting me financially and going back to school. Um I think if that didn't happen, I wouldn't or we wouldn't be having we wouldn't be having a conversation today, I think. Right. So that was really in my opinion, it was it was crucial um, in in my career uh, from a from a you know if, if you use the word mentor, I think Pete at the time definitely uh, someone who was extremely influential uh, in an extremely positive and good way. And uh, look, this is this is roughly twenty years ago, and you know we still speak on a regular basis, and we've become really good friends. And and and, and I think that just shows you that. Um, you know, if people, and I, I kind of speak on behalf of Peter here, but if people care for their people or the people who work for them, uh, I think you have a completely different outcome uh, as if you have just, you know, you, you're just a boss and you just do your work and you have your guys and tell them what to do. Right. So it, 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 that, that is something I think which, which I learned very, very early on. That that relationship, that that working together, that collaboration is extremely important. And I think at the later stage, I had another, uh, to me in a sense, uh, maybe less from a career perspective in, in terms of change, but from uh, you know from a, from a mentorship. At the time, I was in uh, in Indonesia for years. I spent three years in Jakarta for for Standard Chartered. At the time, I uh, worked for Pemada Bank. I was uh, the head of global markets, so I went back to the front office. Um, and uh, for Pamela Bank, I ran uh, global markets, which uh, you know at the time it was approximately I don't know 80, 80 people, maybe ninety people across Indonesia, the whole the whole of Indonesia. And uh, we had a we had a commissioner, board of directors at the time, uh, David Worth, uh, an American who's uh, used to work in in, in stand chart, and uh, perhaps has. Uh, has then moved to Indonesia, I think in early uh, 2008 or 2009, and, and was a commissioner for Pamada Bank for the last 14, 14 plus years, I think. Um, and I had a chance to work with him, you know, almost, not, not on a daily basis, but given the fact that he was commissioner, he was, uh, you know, in the risk committee, he was, uh, you know, instrumental from, uh, you know, what what's happening on the ground, and he was able to, to provide, you know, international backdrop, you know, uh, best practice from Stone Child and everything, including me running global markets. That was uh, um, almost amazing um, learning, um, you know, understanding how certain things in a smaller setting in a different country uh, work. And, and uh, I think those three years, uh, they have been, uh, you know, they have been just amazing. Uh, maybe less so from a mentorship, but, uh, you know, the conversation and the challenges of, and, and some of the some of the things we did at the time, uh, and you know, some of the uh, advice I have received at the time from David, uh, it, it was just uh, it was just extremely helpful for my for my career as well, in a sense. Even though he wasn't a direct, you know, uh, uh, 
Has there been a significant turning point in your career that has helped you where you are today? Um, yeah, I think I think definitely. You know, if I if I look back, I mean, I mentioned earlier, uh, you know, at the time when I was in Everbank, I went back to school and then subsequently then moved into audit. I think that was an extremely important um, an important change, and and I think that really changed my. Uh, career um, in a in a very very major way. Um, I think going from, you know, if you look at it, you know, going from a front office role, from a hardcore, you know, trading role, proprietary trading for an exchange in, in the nineties, going into uh, into a third line audit role, a complete uh, opposite of the spectrum. Uh, I think that was that was just an enlightening to me and. Um, um, and, and I mentioned it earlier. It, it was. It would be. There were challenges. There were situations where, where you sit there and you think like, "No, I, I can't believe that." I mean, why people? Why people think that this is the way it's supposed to be? You know, that was just from my obviously from my experience as a, as a trader. Then looking looking at the way the front office does business from a from a third line perspective. So more from controls, risk perspective, from a you know, regulatory perspective as well, requirements, policies, procedures and all this sort of stuff. And that was a real turning point. Um and I think it, it you know, at the end of the day when I look back and it's now roughly fifteen years ago, um and I've done you know many, many different roles in between those fifteen years. But um that was the key moment in time where I said that Whatever I did before, going back to school and you know, um, you know, giving away my holiday for for study, study for exams and stuff like that, it was worth it. Because if I wouldn't have gone into audit and into a third line role, I wouldn't be able to do the job I'm doing now. Um, now I'm kind of you know in that sales desk risk management job, which is which is essentially a first line, it's an operational risk kind of assurance role, but it's much more than that. It's uh, it's it, you know it's not only just pure operational risk, but it's it, it goes left, right, center, and in particular at the moment with with uh, you know you can imagine COVID nineteen and BCP and all the sort of stuff. The role has become extremely um, interesting. Uh, it was interesting before, but it's become even more interesting because the scope has expanded dramatically, and and I think I learned you know fifteen years ago. We start move away from front office to, to internal audit. I, I, I learned to be agile, to mm. be adaptable, to be able to do different things and, and, and accept different opinions, different viewpoints, different realities to a certain extent as well. Um, and, and I don't think I wouldn't be able to do that today if I haven't had that, that change 15 years ago. Sure. With your career, you've managed various size teams throughout uh, your various roles that you've done. What do you see as the key attributes of an effective leader? Leadership. Um, well, I think it's very simple. Um, and and, and we, we all know there's a whole lot of you know material out there, study and whatever. I, I, of myself went to, to INSEAD a few years ago during my time in Pamela Bank for effective leadership and organizational stuff and you know but 
you know, you can read and learn and do whatever you want. I think at the end of the day, it, it comes down to, in my, in my opinion, very, very simple. If you don't care about the people, you will never be a good leader. You need to take care of the people, not only because of work, but because of their entire, you know, everything, well-being, what are they doing, why are they performing not so good, what can we do to give them better tools, or how can we help them to improve? You know, it's sometimes it's not just, it's not just, yeah, okay, you're going to do now, one, two, three, four, five, one, once you've done it, you come and report back to me. No, 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 no. You need to be able to, to, to empower your people, to give them confidence, to, to sometimes take them by the hand, explain them, give them knowledge. And, and what I've been doing in particular the last 10 years for sure, if not longer, um, I've always been very, very keen in providing my own experience, my, my knowledge, which I've, I was very lucky to, to be able to gain over the last few years to, to my fellow co-workers, not only to my, 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 my team members, but everybody who's, everyone, whoever is interested. In, and I like to have that conversation. And, 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 I, and I think this is really where, I think when people realize that someone cares, I think that's when they start to say that, yeah, okay, maybe I don't 100% agree. But he, you know, the person, the person cares. I will mm. follow, mm. or I will challenge, or I will maybe, maybe I have a different opinion, or maybe we can find another, another compromise, or, or whatever it is, right? But if people realize that you don't care, people will never follow you. Correct. Um, so I think it's really simple at the end of the day, and and I think in that whole process, you know, you have to be really authentic. I think you cannot be. Um, I think you cannot stand in front of people and say something and then do something else. You know, um, I, I think that uh, it, for me, it comes down to those two things. It's very, I actually, I think it's very simple. In your current role, you're doing a global role. What What are some of the key challenges in, you know, covering a global role as you're doing, forgetting about obviously the, mm-hmm. the current situation with uh, COVID-19, but Pre-COVID-19, right. what were some of the challenges in, in covering right. a global role, different cultures, different regulations, et cetera? Right. Right. Um, <clears throat> yeah, you know, I mean, it's, it, 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 yeah, it, it is currently, I mean, when I look at my patch, it's very, it's very interesting um, because I'm doing, I'm, I'm covering certain locations which um, I didn't have a chance to, to cover before in my career. Um, so I'm, I'm responsible, as you say, globally, but uh, I'm, you know I have a lot of focus on, on the Pacific, and, and obviously the bank I work for, we have a relatively strong presence in the Pacific, and you know even in Spanchard at the time or Christmas uh, prior to that, I was never responsible for for the Pacific, um, and, and and I think that is extremely, extremely uh, you know interesting and, and, and amazing because it it just gave me a lot of insight and, and a lot of new um, knowledge in terms of, you know, how certain things work in a different part of the world, in a different setting where, you know, you have certain countries where, you know, you, you do not have a, an open market that the central bank kind of provides you with some sort of a liquidity on a daily basis and tells you what, what you can charge, you know, uh, buy and sell to the clients from, from an FX point of view, right? So, it, you know, it's, it's very, very interesting 
um, in, to see this in real life and not just, you know, read something uh, somewhere or, or, or hear from someone else, but actually be in, in the middle of it and and, and manage, um, you know, that, that particular patch. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, I've done, I've done obviously roles like in Indonesia where I was responsible for Indonesia as a, as a country, so that was... Uh, that was uh, in itself a challenge, uh, you know, from a different point of view. Now it's obviously, as I said, like the Pacific and, you know, Asia, Australia, you know, so that has a different dynamic. But I think um, at the end, it all comes down to, you know, that you need to be able to, you know, you you, tr- you have to trust your team, right? And, and you know, of course you uh, have different ways of, you know, looking at, you know, how certain people work. And I think that is the key, in my opinion, right? Because everybody everybody works in a slightly different style. And, you know, obviously, uh, you mentioned it, cultures, uh, culture might, might be a little bit different. You know, there's different uh, there's different variables you need to consider when engaging with, with, with people. So certain locations have different customs where, you know, maybe you cannot say something like this, whereas, for example, you know, in Australia, if you say something like that, it's completely perfectly normal. So these are the things you need to be aware of those nuances and, and you need to be open to it and you need to be able to accept it. And, and, and you know, a lot of that is engagement with the people and, you know, talking about things. How do you guys, how do, you guys do this, on a, on a, you know, in, in, in your country? What are some of the challenges? What, what are some of the things you need to be aware of? You know, this is the way with, with kind of being interested, ask, ask, ask questions. Try to understand as much as possible, even though if you maybe not able to travel to the country, of course, travel to go to the location, see the people face to face. Of course, that tremendously helps in understanding. But um, you know, as we both know at the moment, that's unfortunately not possible. But uh, then you need to find another way of how you do it. And, and I think trying to understand the other person is is, is a big big help. And, and you know, uh, accepting each other, accepting the different the, dif- the different viewpoints and the different customs is very important. So you do not always need to agree. No, why should you? Right? Different opinions are very very important because this is how we all get better. If you have different viewpoints and different opinions, and yeah, maybe maybe you're right here, but maybe you're wrong there. Oh, you haven't thought about X, Y, and Z. You know, this is the kind of stuff we all as a team. We all get better and we're able to perform better. But, you know, let me say this. In all these years, and I've, I've, you know, as we talked about, I've worked in Switzerland, Singapore, Indonesia. The last two years I spent in Hong Kong. I just came back, actually, end of the year, 2019, to Singapore. And in all these countries I've worked, um, regardless of what your religion is, regardless of what your background is, regardless of how rich or how poor you are or whatever, People, in my opinion, tend to respond to very, very similar, um, you know, needs. Uh, we all, we all, at the end of the day, we all want the same. We want to be healthy. We want to be happy. You know, some people they want more money. Yeah, okay, fine. Right. Some people are happy with less. Right. So just to be able to sustain our lives and pay the bills and all those sorts of stuff. But regardless of where you are and what you believe, I have seen that people tend to be the same. In 99% of the cases. And, you know, I'll give you an example in particular with Indonesia. When I went to Indonesia, or before I went to Indonesia, you know, a lot of people, uh, you know, 
back home, example in Switzerland, you know, they were telling me that, oh, you know, Indonesia, you have to be a little bit careful, right? Because it's, it's a bit dangerous. And that dies because they don't know, you know, because they've never been there. They've never learned about it. They've never seen it. Right? And, and I understand they have some reservations here. They, I can understand. But I can tell you, in the three years I've spent there, uh, I've, I've traveled a lot around the country. I've seen a lot. Uh, you know, from the different islands, you know, visiting customers, uh, you know, go and take a look at their plantation, you know, nutmeg plantation and how you how you actually, uh, you know, get, get the nutmeg prepared and, you know, all the sorts of stuff. Uh, or, or mills, flour mills in, in, in Sumatra and stuff like that. And I've never encountered anything dangerous, nothing at all. And I can tell you, the people are the friendliest people in the world. And even now, five years on, some of my best friends live there. Mm. Um, this is, a, you know, friendship for life. And um, regardless, as I said earlier, regardless of whether you believe in this or you believe in that, it all comes down to basic things we all want. And that is, you know, be healthy, happy, and, you know, just have a peaceful life. Most companies or all major companies around the world have always had different degrees of business continuity plans. I, I don't think really any company uh, ever really planned to the degree of something that we're experiencing now in terms of a total global uh -huh. pandemic. What impact do you see COVID-19 having on future BCP? Mm. Yeah, that's a, that's a very, very good question, Mark. And, and I, I'm actually involved in, in, in BCP you know, in my current role from a market's perspective. And uh, um, I mean, I, I don't want to talk about obviously specifics around my, uh, you know, um, what I do on a day-to-day -day basis, but um, you're right. I think in general, there is, or well, at least I don't know anything about it, that there is any company who specifically prepared for a pandemic, uh, you know, the, the one we have at the moment. Um, definitely, I can say that, you know, I've, um, when speaking to uh, some of my colleagues in other banks, uh, definitely in particular in Asia, Singapore, Hong Kong, you know, um, there's, 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 been, there's been a thought around, you know, from the experience from SARS, uh, but that at the time was very, very local and obviously it didn't, it didn't become a pandemic. We, we know that, but it was always a thought on the side, you know. BCP, as I can see, was always, yeah, okay, uh, let's say Japan, yeah, we have a major earthquake. What about if we can't go to the office? Or we have uh, some, some uh, you know, electric electricity downtime or, or some... Or a terrorism attack. So it was all, yeah, exactly, or, or attack or war or something like that. It was, it was, never, it was never really thought... And, and I, don't, I don't think you can blame people, right? Because this is really the first time in a hundred years Right, since the Spanish flu, that we have something like this, and and um, and I think it's going to change, in my opinion, and, and it already has, um, but it's going to change even more in the future the way we look at BCP. And to my mind, there's a lot of things which uh, which which kind of come through. Right, it's it's not only yeah, you have a BCP side. What are you doing with that BCP side? Do we need to have a BCP side the way it is? Does it need to be in the same city? Does it have to be somewhere else? But what about if you can't travel? The problem we have now, right? 
But if we have different locations where we can, so from a, let's say from a global market perspective, right, from a risk perspective, you would typically transfer your risk, you know, along uh, along the thumb, right? So you move it from, you know, Tokyo, Hong Kong, Singapore, London, New York, and then it comes back, right? But what about if you have three or four or five of these locations, they're all gone down. Where do you manage your risk? Well, you know, then it kind of comes to, yeah, we need like people working from home. Yeah, but mm-hmm. how do you get, let's say, a trader to work from home? It's not that simple. You can't just give the trader, you know, a, a, a mobile phone and a laptop, right? So oftentimes, you would know, oftentimes you need specialized equipment, Bloomberg terminals, Reuters terminals, you need to have fast internet, um, et cetera, et cetera. So these are, these are major questions uh, which then kind of, once you start thinking about it, they then can automatically go into the risk conversation where you start to think about, okay, hold on. So we have now, let's say, we're setting up a trader station uh, at someone's home. Yeah, okay, but what about all the, the kind of the risks along with that, right? Um, you know, not, you don't have really a supervision anymore. The line manager can't see you on a daily basis. You don't know what the person does at home, etc. Cetera, et cetera. I mean, uh, what about all that, you know, the internet line at home? You think, for example, you know, uh, in Singapore, we have Singtel, Starhub, they're safe, right? But, you know, what about if that internet line goes down? How do we then continue to do business? And I can tell you in Singapore, we had a few cases where um, Starhub, uh, the main one of the main uh, providers of uh, for internet uh, have, have basically uh, challenging uh, challenges with their keeping up their their, their internet right because it's too many people working from home and it crashed the system. Well, right. I think that's been so a global there's, problem, there's a lot, hasn't it? I mean, you know, we've experienced the same problem, thing absolutely. in Australia. Absolutely, absolutely, and 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 those are the things you then start to think about. And in the past, as you said, right, in the past when we looked at BCP. You, you would have never asked those kind of questions, right? You wouldn't have asked the question, all right, what about if we send someone home? What, what do we need to think about? And then automatically for me is then, of course, when you look at the free land of defense as well, it's like, yeah, okay, you, you need to be able to engage your, your colleagues in the second line, maybe even in the third line, because, you know, obviously the second line will, will help you in, in terms of, you know, from a regulatory perspective, compliance, Maybe even some legal questions you may or may not have, right? And I'm pretty sure the third line will be very interested in the future to do potentially audits on your on your actual BCP arrangements and, and even potentially when you went live. So it's it's the kind of stuff you then sit down and think about. All right, I need to engage my my, my colleagues there, and you know how it is in a normal environment pre COVID nineteen. You know, sometimes uh, things are not that fast, right? Because people have different priorities, competing priorities, different uh, different uh, topics they need to work on. But in a time like this, it really comes down to engaging, adapting, collaborate with your colleagues in the second and third line, and and try to focus on what is really the most important thing at this point in time, and get get an agreement on that and then you know in an agile way work through all the questions and say yeah we're comfortable with that and maybe you are not 100% there but maybe not 95% there but the 95% is maybe 
good enough so that everybody is comfortable to say that, hey, you know what? With that 95%, we are able to serve our customers. We're able to serve the community. We're able to keep the business open. And we are able to do all this in a controlled environment without letting our guards down and introducing any additional risks. Mm. And if we do a little bit here or there, we can actually live with it from a risk appetite perspective. So these are the things, you know, which, which kind of come to my mind immediately. But then going forward, if you think about BCP, what do we need to do? You know, obviously BCP will change in a, in a very, very dramatic way. Do we still need to have a BCP side? Or do we focus on, you know, straight away, we have people working from home. You have a disaster, you have a fire, you have a war. You have, I, I know, okay, war is maybe not a good example, right? but you have to go into bunker. But um, all these kind of things, do you even bother to have a BCP side? Because now you've got everybody with a laptop, everybody has access to, you know, the system. Now, of course, you need to be able to actually access the system at home, right? But do we just send people to, you know, work from home for a week, for two weeks? You know, if you think about BCP, uh, locations, right? I mean, they, in, in, in probably 99% of the cases, the BCP sites, they were always designed to be used for maybe a few hours, a couple of days. But here, we're talking about, I mean, Singapore, I can tell you, we've been on the lockdown for months, and it, it's, it's, it's only now slowly starting to, to you know, to, to get a little bit better. But when you, when we call it circuit breaker here in Singapore, but officially that ends on the 1st of June. So you have a lot of people working from home for Weeks and weeks and weeks, mm. right? Um, so that will change in a very, very dramatic way. I, I think also the not only the BCP aspect, but also the kind of you know obviously the the, the BAU environment, right? Do you do you have 110 staff working in the office? Do you want to introduce more hot desks? Do you reduce certain things? Uh, you know, all all those sorts of questions come to my mind. Right? So it's going to be very interesting going forward. We could do a whole podcast on this, Harry. <laughs> Half a year from now, I think. <laughs> um, tell me just briefly, what's some of your passions outside of work? Um, yeah, a, a lot of things. I, I do a lot of sports. Uh, you I've, must be a good been, skier. Uh, uh, sorry? I'm you a good must boss? be a good snow skier. Uh, well, you know, in Switzerland, let me tell you this, uh, we are all born with skis. Correct. All right. <laughs> so, yeah. I do ski, but uh, to be honest, um, I haven't been skiing in the last few years because it doesn't, um, you know, I'm I'm not going often back to Switzerland. Um, I actually, I'm in a very, very fortunate position where my parents and and, and my siblings as well, to a certain extent, they love to come to Asia. Uh, My parents visit me every every year for two months in January and February. They escape the, the cold weather in Switzerland. So, you know, they're here in Singapore and, and they enjoy that. And, you know, then for me, there's less of a need to go to go back. Uh, so I haven't been skiing in a while, but skiing is a bit like uh, driving a bicycle, right? So it doesn't matter you haven't done it for 10 years. The first time you get on it, 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 it all comes back. Um, one of my no, favourite I mean, ski places yeah. is Andamat. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's many, many great places. Mm. What, what I, to be honest, I mean, my... I have I've never been skiing in Asia. You know, oh, you need to go to Japan. You need to go to Naseko, and yeah. uh, Japan's got fantastic skiing. I, 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 absolutely, and can tell you one of my one of my uh, big 
topics or big items on my bucket list yeah, for after COVID-19 is skiing in Asia because I want to experience that. And, you know, this whole experience now with the pandemic uh, made me kind of, you know, reflect and what is it what I want to do after this, this, this whole episode hopefully is gone away and we kind of get back to a more normal way of life. And definitely skiing in, it could be Korea, it could be Japan, yeah. And I know in, in, in Australia, I think there's one mountain with some snow as well. So maybe I can do that as well. <laughs> I, I wouldn't put Australia up there in uh, global ski standards, to be honest, uh, Harry. But uh, plenty of other good places uh, outside of uh, Australia, I think. Yeah, no, absolutely. But look, I mean, I, I, I think it's, um, you know, have, you know whether it's, it's sport or any other hobbies, uh, but I think it's very, very important that you, in particular now with, uh, you know, obviously the, the life we have at the moment, it's very, very important that you have something outside of work, which gives you, uh, you know, some sort of a balance. It gives you some sort of a, an opportunity to shut down and, and do something completely different. And, and in my way, my way of doing that is, is running. I've been, I've been uh, when I was a bit younger. Which is not too long ago. Uh, I used to run marathons, uh, half marathons, marathons. Uh, I moved them into different different kind of sports. I tried this and that, but running is still a, uh, still a very very big passion. And uh, you know, in, in particular now, uh, in, in these times where you know obviously we're kind of on the under under lockdown, we are not supposed to go outside, but you can you still do running. So actually, I do that on a daily basis, and that and that gives me a fantastic, uh, you know one hour or so to, you know, go outside, enjoy enjoy nature. Uh, not so many people at the moment outside, which is which is great as well. But it gives me a possibility to completely shut down my brain for an hour and don't think about anything. It's 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 a it's I guess for other people that is maybe yoga or, or meditation or whatever it is, but in my way or for me, my, my way of shutting down and, and, and do that, getting the balance is, is running. And it, oh, and it I works love running. Uh, um, we've talked about this on many podcasts before. I find what running can do to your brain after, you know, a tough day mm. and uh, can totally reboot your brain and, and bring out the endorphins. And I also like doing marathons. So uh, I, I fully hear you, mm. Harry. Uh, I think running's a fantastic <laughs> way of uh, managing stress and – it's all—it's a form of mindfulness, really, and a lot of people probably don't realise that. But uh, running can be a form of mindfulness uh, when you do it. Yeah, and, and and you can do it. You can do it anywhere. You know, it's it's really simple. All you need is a is, is a pair of shoes and you know uh, and a shorts and you know um, and and you can go out and, and do it. And I think that's the fantastic thing. And you connect with nature, right? And uh, I find you know, Singapore at, a little uh, bit hot for running, for my liking. I know when I was traveling there a lot and doing marathon training, Singapore, yeah. I'd always dread having to uh, do some sprinting and intervals and yeah. long runs in Singapore. I'd be like, it's just way too hot for my <laughs> for my liking. Yeah, but, it's, uh, it's a bit tougher. Yeah, yeah. It means that but you can perform anywhere you in the world, Harry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know whether that is possible to do the same level, you know, when you go to Kenya, you know, on, on 3,000 meters or, true, or something like that. True. I think that's a completely different animal as well. But, uh, yeah. but yeah, no, I, I think in particular these, 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 these times we have now, it's, it's, it's becoming more important, right, to find that balance. And, uh, you know, uh, you, you need to have a, a break uh, from work and uh, from all this, right, to, to, to recharge and, and, and balance. I think that is really, really important. 
Harry, thank you so much for providing a very insightful view of your career journey about leadership, mentoring, and really sharing your thoughts around the impact of COVID-19 on BCP uh, and and what does that look like going forward. I really appreciate your time today. No, thanks a lot, Mark. Uh, Fantastic. Um, I'm happy to uh, share a little bit uh, from my view as well. Great. Thanks, Harry. Thank you, Mark. Stay safe. Same to you. Thanks for listening to the show. We encourage you to subscribe and feel free to share, rate us and leave a review. If there's anything you'd specifically like us to cover, email us at markenticott at bowenpartners.com. Thank you.